Living Optimal Radio. This is Jared Gossett. You may have actually forgotten my name because it's been a while. I'm sorry I've been busy. Actually, busy is no excuse. I hate that excuse. In fact, here's a little life advice since nobody asked. You want to become a better person immediately? Stop making excuses. Anyway, shouldn't happen again. At least I don't foresee it. But I do have some good content coming up for you guys. This is going to be a little mini series that we do on how to raise money and how to raise money more effectively for your projects and how to avoid some common pitfalls and dead ends and dangers that may lie in the road. So I'm going to actually be leading it. Unfortunately for you guys, it is going to be me, your host. But here's the thing. Uh, For the few things I'm qualified in life to discuss, this may actually be one of them. I was uh, in investment banking right out of college, and then I went into a real estate private equity group where I was raising money for a lot of different developers and builders across the country. So I know a lot about this. And then since I started my own companies, I have raised, I have no idea exactly the amount I should probably go tally it up at some point, but somewhere in the tens of millions of dollars from banks and sophisticated investors and individual Main Street type investors as well. With my previous company, we had a network of, I think, probably close to 50 private investors who were funding us in addition to several banks. We had lines of credit in place. So this is something that's important to me and I want to talk about it because I see so many people going about it the wrong way and inflicting on themselves pain and heartache that just isn't necessary. And then on the other side of it, I see people who could be running their businesses more effectively and they're not simply because maybe they haven't learned some different approaches. So that's what I want to hit in a few episodes here, a little mini series on how to raise money. Today, we're going to jump into it and I want to tackle first some of the common pitfalls and dead ends and dangers that lie along the way. So without further ado, let's jump in. All right. Number one of the common pitfalls and dead ends. One, I'm going to say, and this is in no order of priority. Number one would be big banks. So big banks, what do I mean by that? I mean, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, some of the large, huge behemoth banks that are out there. They make tons of loans. They've got obviously a huge customer base. But unfortunately for me and you, unless you are really a mid-sized builder or general contractor with really, really strong track record over several to many years, you are most likely not going to get the attention from these banks. I have seen it time and time again. People go and try to get project level financing through these banks and it just doesn't work out. There is a reason behind it. In fact, my first job out of college was working in an investment banking division of one of these banks. They have huge pockets. They're primarily focused on the customers that are going to make them more money. The huge companies That's who they're wanting to deal with. And again, probably their smallest customers that they're making loans to are the ones that are still bigger than 
me and you and most of our listeners. So that's a dead end because I rarely see it working. There is an alternative. So it's not all disappointment. There is an alternative, which are the local banks. Uh, the local banks, the small banks, the ones that are invested in building their relationships in your particular community are almost always the place to go to when it comes to looking for your, your debt financing on your projects. So that's number one. Let's move on. Number two, this is something I could rail on for hours, actually. So number two, in terms of big dead ends, would be big talkers. Number one was big banks. Number two is big talkers. What do I mean by big talkers? Talking about when you're going to try to raise money for your projects, you're out there looking at potential partners, investment partners, and there are inevitably guys that scream loud. So I are loudly. So I'm thinking like your LinkedIn contacts and people like that, that feature themselves as managing tens of millions or hundreds of millions or even billions. I see people so preposterous as to, to represent themselves as managing billions of dollars. Some of them do. The vast majority do not. They are rampant in the real estate industry. It's easy to find them. And the truth is, not only are they impotent when it comes to helping you raise money, the vast majority of them, the harm that they will do and the reason why I am warning you guys about those type of big talkers is because you may be going hard on your mo earnest money spending the pre-development dollars for a project and get seduced by somebody like this who takes you all the way to the end and then puts you in a bad spot to lose that money when they don't come through and perform on funding your investment for you. So that's the risk presented by them. I have seen that time and time again. The best defense against that is probably just experience and learning to develop your bullshit radar when it comes to people like that. But again, not all is lost because there is a much, much better way to raise money or at least the equity portion of your projects, um, which we'll get into in a later part of this little mini series. And that is through other people. I will leave a little cliffhanger in there for you. So there is a better way though, I promise. And we'll hit it next time. The third dead end and pitfall, and might I actually say major danger in raising money is one that we all fall into. And that is the hard money trap. And I'll give you a little history. I actually, the reason why I'm doing this series on how to raise money right now is, is because of a situation that came to me recently with a group of young guys early in the business and have found themselves in a world of hurt right now. And we're looking for our advice and opinion on how to get out of it. And it may be too late. I don't know. But this is not the first time that I have, uh, have come across this story or situation, I've seen it a handful of times and have tried to help these young developers or builders out who have gotten in with hard money and now are just absolutely buried and have no way out except probably foreclosure. And unfortunately, oftentimes they sign personal guarantees, which allow the lender to come directly after them. 
So that's the reason why I actually decided to do this little, uh, these episodes and the hard money trap is real. And uh, I caution everyone about using hard money for your projects. The fact of the matter is you step back and you look at financing investments and, and real estate. And the truth is, the argument is, is that there is a place for hard money. And that's true because the higher interest rates, the higher fees, the hard money lenders have to charge is economically appropriate to account for the higher risk of the borrower who may be is younger in the business, who doesn't have as much assets or collateral, who doesn't have the track record or so on and so forth. There are all kinds of reasons why someone may be less credit worthy and therefore need to go seek out hard money. So there's no denying that. But the issue with hard money is, for one, the rates are so high that it leaves you with almost no wiggle room, with almost no cushion if your project has a misstep. If something happens, there is almost no way out. I know that sounds overly grave, but I've seen it time and time again. And the way that real estate projects work and the way that the returns are, the way that returns are typically normalized to some level of profitability, unless you just get lucky and find a piece of property at a steal or find some other hack to figure out how to uh, hit a home run or grand slam on a project. Uh, Short of that, your deals typically won't have enough cushion to handle a misstep with hard money. That's just anecdotally what I've seen time and time and time again. And unfortunately, the uh, hard money is oftentimes uh, used by the guys who are young in this business, by the guys who have high hopes to grow their businesses and simply don't have enough experience to know better. We don't know what we don't know. And that's who I typically see getting caught up in these hard money traps. And it makes sense because they don't have the track record. And so naturally, or they don't have the money or assets yet. So where do they turn naturally to hard money? But it is a dangerous road to go. So I'm not going to sit here and pontificate that you should always steer clear of hard money, but I do believe it should be an absolute last resort. And I do believe that there are a lot better ways to get superior means of financing through some creativity that I'll share with you guys in an upcoming episode. But let's dig in a little deeper. So if you do have to use hard money. I just want to point out a few things that you need to be looking at and considering. For one thing, a lot of these hard money lenders, they're syndicators, meaning that they actually are just a shop that doesn't have the money in their own pockets. So they're going out to their investors to raise the money on a project by project basis. Now, if you remember what I said in pitfall number two about big talkers, how they can potentially leave you hanging after you've already invested at pre-development dollars, same thing can happen with these hard money lenders who are syndicators. They may have trouble syndicating the the deal with their investors and they may bail um, and they've got no recourse. So that's something to consider and something to ask with whatever hard money lender you're using if you have to go that route is to consider that syndication risk and is it real with them. Beyond that, 
even on top of all of the, in my opinion, atrocious origination fees and uh, interest rates, you've got a ton of hidden fees usually with these guys. And they look for the opportunity to take a huge fee wherever they can in terms of like things you wouldn't even necessarily expect. Very high loan draw inspection fees. If you have to reallocate anything on your budget, there may be a very high budget reallocation fee. Uh, They can fee the shit out of it um, with a number of fees and you just have to get that information up front and again, plan for that in your budget. Beyond that, another real adverse incentive that a lot of hard money lenders have, not all, not all, but oftentimes they are in the loan to own business. And I don't know if you know what that means. I'm sure some of you do, but loan to own means that they take your down payment and they take your money for all the interest payments, et cetera. And they make a really, a a really strong return off of that. But then they also are incentivized to potentially take the property back if you default on the loan and to not work with you like almost always, not always, but banks, a, a bank because of their regulations are typically more motivated to try to work with you and negotiate the terms of the loan if something goes wrong. Uh, not all hard money lenders are of the same mind. Some of them realize they can actually profit more by taking the property back. And in fact, there is a company here in my hometown, I'm sure they're all over the country, all over the world, who have either an affiliated construction division or some sort of partnership with construction companies to where they have just a machine. Once they take them back, they go and make more money by finishing the construction out. So you can imagine what motivation and incentive lenders like that have to have to work with you if you ever bump up against the unexpected and default on your hard money loan. So keep that in mind. And to that point, I would say, again, to pontificate and give you a philosophical advice here. This is a business where you can't expect everything to go well. Like I see so many of the people who are younger, so many of the amateurs who get into the business, they're expecting things to go well. I did the same in my early days and luckily never had any sort of major, major problems with it, but, uh, I benefited from a good market. Um, you have to plan for the worst in this business, you know, hope for the best and expect somewhere in between. So what that means is when you're building your performance for these deals, and especially for your hard money deals, add major contingencies, expect that the project might take longer to sell or construct than you're expecting. And that the construction budget needs some level of contingency in there as well. And what you'll often find is that if you build your pro forma using hard money, if you build your pro forma in a manner that is not through rose-colored glasses, rarely does it make sense. And all I can tell you guys is, is this is not a business to try to hit a home run, take the high-risk home run, It's a business where you're much better avoiding the big loss, avoiding the bad mistakes, and just simply consistently performing. There's nothing wrong with a base hit or a double. You don't have to go for the the home run. And oftentimes when you do try to go for the home run, you're going to have to 
adjust things in your mind or, or create these cognitive biases that perhaps skew the real level of risk. And that's something that I see so often with hard money. So here's one other. Uh, personal guarantees. So with almost all banks, one of the downsides to using a bank is that you have to provide a personal guarantee, which basically means that the bank can come after you personally for any deficiency. If anything ever went wrong with a loan, they could come after you to the extent of the deficiency. Interestingly, hard money is typically an asset backed and is typically an asset backed uh, loan. But I have seen more and more these hard money lenders getting personal guarantees from the borrowers. That And that is something that given the level of risk with these hard money lo- lenders, I would just emphatically encourage every one of you listening to, if you're going to use hard money, never sign a personal guarantee. They're already getting enough money to economically account for their risk in the deal, hypothetically. So... Do not sign a personal guarantee. There is too much risk. There's too much interest that can accrue that could just bury you to sign a personal guarantee where you technically could have a judgment filed against you and then have to repay a lot of money personally over several years. I think that's about it. Obviously, a lot of this has been me railing on personal beliefs. Uh, These have been hard-earned, hard-fought beliefs. So I stand behind a lot of what I've said today. And I know that, uh, well, I stand behind all of it. But I know that it's probably uh, very much, well, controversial, at least. I'm sure not everybody shares my opinion. Uh, Of course, I welcome uh, differences of opinion But again, I I feel like a lot of this is very easy to defend. So there you have the three pitfalls, the big banks, the big talkers, the hard money lenders. Stay tuned for our next episode. I am going to roll out best practices and creative ideas for raising money for your projects. Uh, I also, I don't know if I'm going to break this into two episodes. I need to talk about logistics as well. So I want to hit on some of the kind of logistical aspects of raising money. And there may be a few other things that I, uh, that I want to throw in there. So I'll keep this a little bit iterative. If any of you all have anything specifically that you want to hear, um, as we're jumping into this series on, uh, raising money, hit me up on Instagram, on Facebook, and let me know what you're thinking. Alrighty, that's it. So until next time, have a good one. I'll talk to y'all soon.